Hello and welcome back to Blue Royalty, a London is Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm your host, Jesse Parker Humphreys, joined by Abdullah Abdullah for a February mailbag. Thank you everyone for sending in all your questions. Uh, it's been a month or so since we did one of these and it feels like things are really, really starting to ramp up. Obviously we're in an international break right now, but actually like it's a real blink and you miss it international break um, because Chelsea are obviously back, not this weekend, but next. So there's lots of games coming up there's lots for us to get through we're going to try and do as many questions as as possible today we're going to kind of start off with some of the more on field stuff and then hopefully move on to like a couple of fun uh questions a couple of off the field things uh later on in the show um but abdullah let's like get right into it i guess um first up we are going to go with this question from clayton appropriately at on twitter goalie 59 saying, I'm intrigued by the goalkeeping situation. I'm yet to be convinced by Musovic, but she has extended her contract. AKB, I believe, still has another year, and we have just signed Nikki Everard. Who leaves in the summer? What a what a way to start off the, the podcast. I, mean, I know, starting off with fireworks. <laughs> yeah, fireworks, the hard questions, the out-of-context takes... It's interesting because I know a lot of people have not such first person I've heard who thinks they're not convinced by Zatira Musovic. I don't know. I, I've been encouraged by her performances since she's come in and had a run of games, more so because we're seeing what she's been able to do across a run of games now and actually playing in the bigger games and kind of giving her that experience. I think that for me is is a good thing. You know what? I think while I agree that I think AKB has another year in her and obviously Everard's been signed, more or less. I have a feeling, and again, I don't know this. I'm just literally hypothetically thinking here. Maybe AKB retires at the end of the season, and that's why we've signed Everard, and there's no news of AKB left because of the the the, the, the illnesses that she's gone through a couple of times. Maybe her body is just at 32, has taken so much of a toll. Now, I know she's been selected for the Germany squad, don't get me wrong, but... In my mind, there might be a thing where she goes, maybe in the summer it's, I wrap it up, my, my body cannot take it anymore. I mean, this could be a reason why she's not even playing in the first place, right? I mean, you would expect it to her to come into maybe a couple more games than she normally would, but she hasn't. And then you sign Everard so early in the year after the window that there's got to be some news that's confirmed there because you can't have three keepers of this caliber sitting there. So I think... If I really had to do it and go for really a left field choice, I think AKB retires in the summer. And that's why you have Musovic and, and Everard and Musovic being this playing in this extended run of games. I don't know. What do you what do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I think of the three, like AKB is the best goalkeeper, in my opinion. Um I do think that Musovic has quite a lot of improving still to do, but to be honest, it's kind of been hard to judge her around that, given the amount of minutes she's managed to get for Chelsea. And, you know, I think the Arsenal game was a great example of a kind of confidence-boosting match for her because I feel like Arsenal did mainly just shoot at her. Um, but, you know, she made the saves and she, she had an important role to play and she hadn't really had a chance to do that kind of stuff. I definitely think you saw, like, in the Liverpool FA Cup game that she can get quite rattled. But equally, that's something that we've seen, you know, AKB have problems with, um, you know, with playing out the ball from her feet and things like that. I think generally AKB is a bit, um, Musovic even is a bit more of an interesting passer of the ball. Uh, than AKB and I feel like at times like AKB's distributions left a little bit to be desired and obviously you know the way teams like to play especially a team like Chelsea you want someone maybe who's going to be a bit better with a feet um I also have concerns about maybe this is just like small but like Musovic on penalties is like truly like one of the worst goalkeepers I've ever watched and like it doesn't have to matter but I just think when you've had a goalkeeper as accomplished as AKB, it it feels like a hard thing to to switch out because I feel like for me still AKB is one of the best shot stoppers in the world. Um, and then this Everard thing is strange because for me I just think it's very hard to judge a goalkeeper like Everard in my opinion, and I personally find it a bit of a strange signing. I think you know she obviously had a great Euros with Belgium. 
and you know it's a fantastic move for her I just still don't quite understand yeah where it fits and maybe you're right maybe there's like an off field thing which Chelsea been aware of but obviously they've been interested in getting Everard for a while she's a player I believe they inquired about in the summer um and weren't able to get then so but equally you know obviously Chelsea knew about AKB's um kind of illness situation then as well so, I mean, I do think, obviously, just with timing, you would assume AKB goes in the summer. Um, but I think that would be that would be a real shame. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's, it's again, I think it's just from the factors of timing and everything that we're, we're probably saying that AKB is the one to go. But, yeah, otherwise you wouldn't be signing. You wouldn't either extend Musevic or you wouldn't sign Everett. One of the two would have happened if AKB was the one to stay but anyway next question from chris riley at one cfc riley there's an emphasis on young players in the academy's academy on the men's side so who's the one to look out for on the women's side for introductory minutes or maybe a breakthrough in preseason? maybe a current loney yeah i mean i think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with i think two of the younger players um who are currently on loan and that would be Georgia Fox and Aggie Beef Jones. Um, before the start of the season, I think we did an episode with Rob, I believe, where we were talking about kind of the youngsters going out on loan. And we were all, I think, very, you know, pro-Georgia Fox and excited to see, like, what she could do at Brighton. Um, it's been a bit of a shit show of a season for her, to be honest. Like, not for her personally, but just that team is is mental. They've obviously had a managerial change. They're absolutely awful defensively. They switched between playing a back four and a back three. Um, and, you know, there's been some bright sparks from Fox, but it's not necessarily been uh, the calmest option for her. And I think, therefore, it'll be kind of interesting to see, you know, maybe Chelsea feel like she'll need another loan because it's like one of those weird things where it almost feels like she's maybe gone back a bit. Um, I'd say the opposite has happened for Aggie Beaver-Jones, who has been one of the standout players at Everton, really. Um, you know, Jess Park, the Man City loney, took a lot of the attention there earlier in the season. But I think we've seen Aggie Beaver-Jones really grow into her role. I think we've seen Brian Sorensen begin to trust her more and more. Um, kind of interestingly seeing her play in, in a more of a 10 role at points as well. I think she's showing herself to be a really versatile attacker. The problem... Beaver Jones has, which maybe isn't the one that Fox has, but, it, you know, is equally a problem, is that Chelsea have a lot of attackers, a lot of versatile attackers. So even if you're thinking about ABJ coming back to the club, it's not entirely clear to me how she fits in or, like, who's kind of dropping out to make space for her there. I kind of could imagine her moving on in the summer just because I think she is good enough to play um, top, like dub like regular WSL minutes for a good team. Just make that team's maybe not Chelsea. Um, there was interest, I think, in her from West Ham and Everton over January. Obviously, you know, she's still on loan at Everton. Um, but, you know, I think clubs would like to take her and it's it's probably really up to her to decide, you know, do I want to fight and try and break through at Chelsea or, or move on? You know, we've seen players like Lauren James, obviously, um, do it. But, you know, I feel like Lauren James is generational. Um, so it's a bit of a different situation. Um, but, yeah, I think the other thing that will be interesting to see in the second half of the season is that we haven't actually seen really any of, the other academy players um, in and around the senior squad. Um, Ashanti Akpan was obviously on the bench for, was it the Real Madrid Champions League group game, I think? Um, yeah, but, you know, yeah. normally we see some of the kind of 16, 17-year-olds floating around, um, you know, things like the FA Cup games. Obviously, Chelsea have had two really tough FA Cup draws. And also, the squad has been, you know, until recently, pretty lucky with injuries, so the bench has kind of been full. I mean, I was surprised maybe not to see academy players in and around for the West Ham um, semi-final in the Conti Cup, but again, that feels a bit like a hindsight thing because I think most people would have gone into it thinking that game was going to be tougher than it was. Um, Amy Claypole is probably the player who's not currently on loan um, but is in the academy who's, like, really, really one to keep an eye on, and um, it'll be interesting if we get to see her pick up any senior minutes. But, um, yeah, she's, like, she's way too good for academy football now. 
um, but can't kind of go anywhere yet because she's not 18 yet, I don't think. Um, and also just generally, yeah, the emphasis on young players in academy on the men's side is something that I believe they obviously want to replicate on the women's side. That's why you saw them sign Micah Hamono. That's why there's all this interest around Linda Caicedo. I think this is going to be something we're going to see see more of moving forward. Um, and Chelsea's squad is kind of on the older side. So, um, yeah, I definitely think it's an exciting time to be a young player at Chelsea, but much like on the men's side, the barriers there are huge and you kind of need a break in terms of, you know, it's not just about your ability, you need the kind of space in the squad to open up, whether that's through injury, departure, um, things like that. So, yeah, uh, Abdullah, I don't know, I don't know what you think about who who we might see uh, maybe making a breakthrough next year. Uh, I mean, I can't argue with anything you just said. It was a, a very detailed answer and explanation, so well done to you there. Um, <laughs> I try. I, <laughs> I, 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 I agree with you. I think... I, I see. I, I agree with you. I would have said Aggie Beaver Jones, considering she's doing probably the best of the loanies. Um, but there's just no space. It's. I think it's just unfortunate timing for her, and I, I can see her just staying at Everton on a permanent deal, and 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 or maybe with some sort of buyback clause. Seeing as that's that's you know that's something we can put in there. I would just say I think Georgia Fox, just because I think fullbacks is still an issue, and it probably relates to the next question a little bit as well, but. Um, I think fullbacks is still a problem at Chelsea. I think there still needs to be a bit of depth there, especially on the left-hand side. I don't think that's been solved. So um, to kind of just kind of summarize what you said, I think yeah, I, 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 for me, I think it's Georgia Fox who's probably the next in line after after this loan coming back. Yeah, uh, definitely an interesting one to keep an eye on there. But I guess moving on, and I guess this next question kind of touches on some of the stuff that we were just talking about, about, you know, players coming in and having kind of breakthrough moments. A question here from Up the Chelsea at the Righteous Crew saying, what should be Chelsea's focus in this summer transfer window? It's interesting because you think about it, like Chelsea's squad is deceptive in that you obviously know that they need a left fullback. For the most part, they they solved the right fullback problem last year by bringing in Eve Perisay, but I think the left side still needs work. And and if you know if we're going by by the hypothetical that Magda doesn't stay, not that she is a fullback, but if she doesn't stay, then you lose quote unquote a fullback, a left a left back over there. And it then I mean unless there's any plans to use Alsu Abdelina there, you know, as a, as a permanent or even a you know semi-permanent solution then I definitely think that that's one two area to focus on and I think the other area might just be central midfield and we've seen obviously Chelsea were linked with um, Gracioro last summer and there was a, there was a few rumblings obviously in January as well and even that's even with in both cases that they kind of knew that Melanie Leupold will come back and obviously she signed a new contract so you know that you've got Leupold's, Ingle, and Kasper, but is three midfielders enough for a team that's competing on, you know, at three, four different tournaments? So it's a tough one, but I think really maybe Chelsea are probably only going to buy maybe one or two players. And I think that comes down to either being left back and, and, and or central midfield. But if I'm really have to pick one right now, I think it's going to be looking at left back just because there's no real standard option that at least at midfield, you've got those three there. To kind of come in and if you need a fourth, you can probably use Frank Kirby or Jesse Fleming in that number eight position as well. So if I really had to pick, I think I think left back is probably the, the area we're looking at. But I, I don't know if you have think any different. Yeah, I think I'd agree. I think the fullback problem continues to rumble on. I think, yeah, obviously there's the potential exit of, of Ericsson. And then you've got Jess Carter, who I think is fine, but not particularly not as good going forward I think as, as what we would want um, equally I think Neve Charles is still yet to totally convince but both of them are young players and there's both I actually think Jess Carter isn't as young as I, I always think she is but you, you know they're both players with a lot of years ahead of them still um, so there's definitely the option there but I think that's definitely an area where you would think, okay, we could still look at uh, bringing another player in. I believe, you know, there's like Ashley Lawrence, I think, is out of contract, and that could be like an interesting option maybe to have as an older player. You're not necessarily expecting her to be there for years and years and years, but would immediately elevate the team. The midfield thing is tough. Um, I think it will depend a lot on on how Loipolt 
comes back and how that starts to fit together. I still think, yeah, there's obviously Sophie Ingle signed a new deal, but there is still kind of a question about that long term base of the midfield role. Is that something Erin's taking on? You know, like how much is Sophie going to be able to play? Um, so, yeah, I, I think midfield and fullback remain the thing, the things that matter the most. But, you know, they're markets that we've seen Chelsea try and dip into and struggle to dip into um, across repeated transfer windows now. Um, so I don't know if that changes. I mean, obviously, we haven't mentioned Katie McCabe, whether they go back in for her. That would, for me, that would be like perfect. I think that would like offer everything we wanted. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting. It's it's a big squad as well. Like there are a lot of players around, and even if you're talking about the exits of kind of Panila and Magda, um, and obviously Beth went, and we didn't really sign on to replace her. There's still other questions, you know, like Anik Nauman will come back from loan. Um, is Micah Hamano going to go out for another loan? There are there are lots of players floating around the club and yeah it'll be interesting to see where those ins and outs come to kind of make room for everyone fair that makes total sense all right a question from enox at enox 13 um when i watch jesse fleming what should i appreciate about her game she's the sort of midfielder who i who plays that i find hard to get quote unquote like i never got brian robson or michael balak so I, obviously there's i think a, a question that is appropriately timed appropriately timed but uh yeah jesse what are, you, what are your thoughts on your namesake yeah i feel like i should probably immediately throw this one back to you but i will like i will just say quickly like enox i'm kind of with you like this is a player who um like i do think is obviously a high quality player um and has shown she can do like lots and lots of different things and i think this is where i would land on jesse fleming is that the thing to appreciate about a game is that she does lots of stuff well and it's not always, like, the big, like, jaw-dropping stuff, but it's all at a very, very high standard. I guess maybe in a similar way to Aaron Cuthbert, with, but without as many long-range um, bangers. Uh, I do kind of think as well that it's okay to maybe acknowledge that she probably hasn't kicked on in the way maybe people expected to her when she first arrived, but um, with her game time being mixed, and again, that midfield has been so shop and change, it's kind of... Um, hard to judge that. Obviously, she signed the new deal, so she must feel good at the club. Um, but yeah, I I definitely find her a player who I can't quite put my finger on. Uh, but Abdullah, you tried to put your finger on her, not literally. That would be weird. Um, <laughs> in in uh, an article you did for your Substack Pressing Matters. So, uh, what did you find there? What did you appreciate about Jesse Fleming? So the, the whole idea came from. Basically, not even the but no, I mean, obviously, this question is there, but from the same thought earlier in the week, I was like, what is it about Jesse Fleming that she signed a new contract? What does she actually do? Because I don't think we figured it out. And while the article was supposed to be about what's her best position and role, it ended up me looking at one portion of it and going, actually, I can just do the whole thing on this because then I realized that I think maybe this is it. Your comparison with Aaron Cuthbert, I think, was... Is, is 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 actually really good because I think what Aaron Casper and Jesse Fleming do at probably the two tips of the diamond, if you want to call it, is one is a bit more defensive and one is a bit more attacking, but it almost feels like the one who's a bit more defensive gets seen more in a situation like this than the one who's at the tip of the diamond when you're especially off the ball. And for me, I feel like what the type of player Jesse Fleming is is probably something that's not really commonly uh, put out there, but the best thing that I could find is she just, to me, feels like this off-ball playmaker where Emma Hayes has so many players who want the ball, right? Gur Wrighton, especially Lauren James, Pernilla Hada, Frank Kirby, they all want ball to feet. They all want to run with the ball. They all want to carry it from wide areas. And and I think Chelsea this season have been one of the widest teams in terms of progression play that, that I think I think is, is recorded. And so when you play a number 10 in this 4-2-3-1 that she's kind of ended up with, you're kind of then going, well, I, you can't have four players or three players wanting the ball, especially when Sam Kerr drops in and she can play in behind, but probably the only one of the three who will probably make the runs behind as well as wanting to come deep and collect. So I think Emma kind of thought, all right, maybe I need somebody who doesn't want the ball as much and to kind of play a role without it to not only just 
empower the two out wide, but at the same time create space for late runners, Samka, the wingers to come inside the world, the one without the ball and kind of do that. And for me, I feel like that's it. Like Jesse Fleming makes so many moves off the ball that are really short movements here. All right, move a player out of position from there. All right, I'm going to drive into this space over here and just create small pockets because Chelsea's wingers are so good with the ball, especially Lauren James and Samka and Frank Kirby, where you give them maybe two, three yards extra space, they'll get a shot away or they'll be able to make that extra pass or someone like that, you know, something like that. It's, you know, Kankovic is, is similar in that regard. So I think I think for me, um, it's it's her off ball work. It's it's how she uses the she, she does her work off the ball, a little bit of her pressing. While that isn't the main part of her game, it's not great. It still helps that she can just run around, win interceptions, and just start attacks in transition. But when you're playing higher up, it's just making space for everybody else by just running around. And sometimes I think the Arsenal game was perfect. I think I think. Ollie Glanville had had mentioned a tweet saying that Emma Hayes in the huddle basically pointed Jesse Fleming out and said, "That's the that's what I wanted to see from everybody else." That was like, but basically one of her best gains. And if you look back, I don't actually remember her doing much. Like you don't actually think of Jesse Fleming in that Arsenal game going, "Yeah, she's the one that stood out." But it was because she didn't have the ball, and I think that then epitomized the fact that that's what Emma Hayes wants. She wanted her to do all this extra running so that everybody else could kind of play in and around her and and serve as the front line. So I, I don't know if that's too too long of an explanation or too long-winded, but I got to the point eventually. There we go. We should all know what to appreciate about Jessie now, other than the fact she's got a great name, obviously. All right, we are going to take a little bit of an ad break here. Thanks to our sponsors for supporting the show. Okay, so part two of the Q&A session that we've pretty much got going on here. So from at the right, righteous crew up the chels um any ideas on improving king's meadow not just the undersoil heating but perhaps expanding the ground to increase seating size etc etc yeah and we're kind of comboing this with a question from david saying do you agree with aaron that king's meadow has been outgrown can chelsea make king's meadow big enough to be a long-term solution feels like a competitive advantage maybe lost we move on from it um so yeah obviously I personally love and adore Kings Meadow. I'm a big Kings Meadow truther. I know some people think it's in an annoying place, but I like it. Um, maybe that's because it's not inconvenient for me, um, but I do understand it can be a bit annoying to get to. Um, some of these questions are coming off the back of Erin did a big Radio 5 thing on Sunday. Um, and then she said during the show, we're only a couple of years away from being able to play at Stamford Bridge every game. We want to play 15 games there next year, then 20. We have to keep pushing the standards. Growth never, never comes from comfort zones. That's a very Emma Hayes thing to say, I think. Uh, we have outgrown Kings Meadow. England won the Euros. It's grown the profile of the game. Everything has changed. As a player, you want the atmosphere. You want to be playing in the big stadiums, but when we play at Kings Meadow, it creates a hostile atmosphere. We really enjoy it. The pitch at Kings Meadow is of the same standard. Uh, brackets, I will say, it is like the Stamford Bridge. It is the Stamford Bridge pitch. They like moved it over. Uh, the only difference is the number of fans. Football is a business. You want to become sustainable. We have to have the infrastructure in place before we can make such a move. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, an interesting um, question. I think this decision over. Kings Meadow versus Stamford Bridge will continue to rumble on. Obviously, Arsenal are having a very similar discussion. Vinay um, Venkatesh uh, said in one of his pre-match notes that, you know, their long-term goal is for Arsenal's play at the Emirates. Obviously, it's a bit of a different situation there because they don't own Meadow Park. It's owned by Boreham Woods. So they don't have the same kind of flexibility that Chelsea do, for example, with, you know, laying laying their own pitch and stuff like that because because Chelsea bought Kings Meadow quite a few years ago now. Obviously, the youth teams play there too. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, obviously, with all of these things, there's stuff around planning permission and councils that mean you can't just, like, go in and, you know, maybe wave your magic wand and, and take things to the next level. Um, it will be interesting. Like, there's been lots of conversation, I guess, over the years around potentially um, being able to expand the seating because anyone who's been there will know that kind of the east stand is just like a like tiny little standing bit and that's where the benches are and whether they'd be able to put a proper stand there. Because I do think that the problem is that Chelsea are going to have is that uh, Kings Meadow is just under five holds just under five thousand and Stamford Bridge holds what, just under 40,000 people. Um, and the problem is, is that's a very big difference 
between uh, things, like to jump from one to the other. And we've seen with the Stamford Bridge games that, you know, it's not they're not selling out even if the club likes to make it sound like it has. The atmosphere's totally different. Um, it's a lot more kind of family-based. Arsenal, again, have the same problem with the Emirates, to be honest. It'll be really interesting, I think, to see what Stamford Bridge is like for that Lyon game in the Champions League because that'll be the biggest game that Chelsea have played there for a very long time. You know, obviously, when you're talking about playing Spurs there or we were meant to play West Ham there and it obviously got cancelled, um, they're not necessarily games that, like, get everyone excited. Uh, whereas I think the Leon one has the potential to be, like, it could be a really big atmosphere. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see. I, I think, obviously, the new ownership are really keen to make sure that their facilities for the women's team, whether that's at Cobham, whether that's with Kings Meadow, uh, go to the next level. But these things aren't, like, they obviously just don't, like, entirely come from the club. Um, it's not that the club aren't thinking about it, it's like that there's a million different pieces you have to move in. I think long term it would be amazing to have the women at Stamford Bridge and I think that's where we'll get to, but um, I think we're still like quite a long way off, really. Um, Abdullah, I don't know what you think, obviously uh, you're not based in England so you don't, <laughs> don't necessarily have to pick between Kings Meadow and Stamford Bridge as much, but it's a tough question, isn't it? Uh, yeah, super tough. And I was about to say, like, yeah, I mean, if I find it tough, uh, if you finding it tough over there, I mean, it's it's equally tough for me being a few thousand uh, uh, miles away. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think it's you need to. Build, I think the quote said it perfectly. It's it's a business. You need to be sustainable. You need to have the infrastructure in place before you can make a move. And yeah, once once we know that there are enough seats being sold, and even if it's at like 85 percent capacity at Stamford Bridge for for for, a, for a women's football game for Chelsea to play there then I think you can then I think you can do it I think the well, I think was it the the, the United Arsenal game had like 40,000 sold out in the Emirates which was I mean that's a good number if Chelsea can get that that's pretty much like 80 85 percent capacity and I think they need to find you know and obviously for for our using Arsenal and United as an example but if that's the game that sells them 40,000 tickets they're going to make sure that every year when they those two play they're going to play at you know they're going to play at the Emirates and I think Chelsea need to find that game I you probably be able to answer this better, but how was it when PSG came to visit Stamford Bridge? What was the atmosphere and how was the thing there? Because that's PSG still a big European team, quote unquote, and and maybe not as big as Leon in terms of the prestige and in terms of maybe the the attractiveness. And obviously, it's it's a quarterfinal versus a, a group stage game. But did that give any indication of what it could be like on a European night, especially against a, a top side? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't particularly busy, but that being said, it was like right before Christmas. It was really cold. Um, it was a bit of a strange game, uh, definitely. I don't think like the atmosphere felt amazing, although I did enjoy myself. Um, but yeah, I think I also think there's a lot of stuff that, and I think we're seeing this change now. But for a long time, like Emma and the players weren't enamoured about just being dropped into Stamford Bridge for these one-off matches because it was, like, disruptive to their routine. And I think that's something that we're going to obviously have to see change over time. Like, I think if you've got people like Erin saying, we want to be playing there, and, you know, I do think the Euros and the experiences around that has changed stuff for the players too because, you know, it used to be that they would, they would never be playing in big stadiums in front of loads of people, but now, you know... The FA Cup final, which Chelsea are in every year, um, is played in front of 50,000. You know, Millie Bright and um, Frank Herbie went and won the Euros in front of like close to 90,000 people. So obviously everyone's experiences kind of have started to change around that. Um, and I think maybe that will make it feel different. But yeah, um, listen, like Kings Meadow when it's packed is amazing, but it doesn't even sell out every game at the moment. <laughs> so... I definitely think it's going to be a balancing act going forward. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. I just also just adore Kings Meadow. So, um, team Kings Meadow forever for me. Uh, but right, let's move on. Um, I thought this was an interesting one. Came from John. What can the Matildas bring across and implement from the way Chelsea play to ensure that they're getting the most out of Sam Kerr when she plays for the national team? E.g. types of receptions, personnel, shape. That's... Interesting and maybe a little bit difficult for me to answer because I haven't seen Australia as much as obviously I've seen Chelsea. But I think probably the one main thing going for Sam Kerr in playing for the national team is that entire team is built to service Sam Kerr. Like there is no other like top star. I mean, 
in comparison to Sam Kerr in being, you know, the best, one of the best strikers in the world to for them to almost in a weird way, they don't have to worry about anybody else. They just need to basically make sure let's just build the team around Sam and ensure that the you know the the the, the team from a tactical uh, perspective is 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 catered to her and and let's try and get her the ball. And I think it becomes super interesting. Like you know, they talk about okay, the shape, personnel, who's there, who's not there, which I think is interesting because if you if you look at it right, they play almost like a four two three one. You've got like Hayley Rasso on one side, Caitlin Ford's playing in the middle sometimes, sometimes you know on the, on the right hand side, and you know these are players that are basically um, obviously one's a bit more uh, of a wide player, the other one's a bit more are coming inside and 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 when you look at that you think okay Chelsea then arguably maybe have better wingers to service or if anything they have a similar setup right you got Lauren James who's like the Caitlin Ford type I'm going to drift inside I'm going to play in that half space and then Hayley Russell's the 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 girl right inside is just going to run down the wing and maybe provide some crosses so in a weird way I think maybe Chelsea are geared up to 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 set up for for Sam Curran I think we can't forget that while we do sometimes see Sam Kerr go through droughts and things like that, I think that it just comes down to her personal form. But I think from a team perspective, I still do believe that the Emma Hayes is still, at the end of the day, gearing up to set Sam Kerr up because she is the main goal scorer and she's still been scoring 15, 20 plus goals in the last two seasons. So it's not like we're seeing a major drop off from like, say, 25 goals to 10 goals or 12 goals. Then you can probably say, all right, what is the national team doing? That's probably where, you know, that 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 Chelsea aren't doing, but um, that's again me saying it, having not watched too much of of the Australian national team, admittedly. But yeah, that that's my two cents. I'm not sure if you think you, you probably would have watched them more, so I'm intrigued to know what you think. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing, maybe from an Australian perspective, is less about what happens out wide for Sam, but what happens behind her. Like I think we've seen a real feature with Chelsea has been allowing Sam to drop and to have runners come, you know, from behind and allow uh, allow for Sam to be a bit more of a, a decoy player. Um, listen, I think anyone who faces the Matildas is always going to put their concentration on Sam Kerr, as lots of people do when they play Chelsea. Um, and like Chelsea do, the Matildas do have l- lots of other options. I think something that will be really interesting in the summer is... Like, I think it's a real shame we've not seen as much as Mary Fowler at Man City um, as we could have, um, because I think she's the kind of player who who maybe unlocks that extra bit of Chelsea Sam for Australia. I just think she's such a creative player. Um, she's so good on the ball, and she kind of has that ability to, to get into the box, to take shots, um, you know, as a... England slash GB fan um we know that to to our own detriment um but yeah I think she's the kind of player who could allow Sam who Sam could basically make space for so in some ways you're not like it's not like you're getting the most out of Sam but it's more like how can you use Sam's build-up style and all of her off-ball stuff to get more out of the team because let's be real like Australia don't really have a problem with getting Sam Kerr to score goals. It's maybe like, how do you make sure you've got other threats um, going forward? So I think that would be like a really interesting thing to look at in the World Cup. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how they how they do it in, in a few months time. All right. From Adama Soltenius, this is arguably, I think, the topic of the day, the most spoken thing about thing in, in, in the women's game today. And I think we get it. We had to ask the question and somebody asked it. So um, do you so do you agree with Emma Hayes and think that the WSL should be a closed league with no relegation? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is this is an interesting thing. This basically um came from Emma Hayes, did an interview about Karen Carney's leading this review into women's football. Um, And Emma Hayes basically said, like, nothing should be off the table. I've worked in America. We've seen maybe, you know, the success of the NWSL, the WNBA from having a closed league. Um, You know, we should be open to thinking about this. I don't think it's Emma Hayes, like, endorsing it. I think she's trying to, um, yeah, say anything should be around. But, like, it's a dumb idea. Um, 
just because for me it I can see the logic behind it because I think what having no relegation does is it takes the risk out of investing because obviously currently you can invest you can bring players in but if you get relegated like you're kind of stuck with these players on your books you know you're not going to get the returns you're not playing the big ticket games etc etc um I just think for me part of the point of sport and football is that there is risk and if you're shit there's like a punishment in inverted commas and you get relegated um equally you know we already have a, a thing in pro in we already have a, a process whereby you have to apply for you know a license to get to be in the top division so we have like rules around the standards that you have to set um which is kind of what happens in America, right? Like with the franchises and then they get to select that more franchises come. And I don't know, to me, it's just like, I enjoy American sport as a as a British person, but it feels very alien to me, like all of that kind of stuff in a way that I'm just like, it wouldn't work. It won't happen either, I don't think. Um, I, I think it's just Emma Hayes. Like she loves to come up with a, I, I said this on Twitter, she loves to come out with a stupid idea because she likes to have a headline and she likes to have a, have her name um, around in the press and, and that's on her. I think also, you know, it's fine. It's an interesting thing to discuss. But yeah, my position is the dumb idea. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, pretty much what you said. And I think um, I agree with you. I think being being non-American and being someone that's lived out here in the Middle East, where I think American sport is is hugely prevalent out here in the UAE. People love the NBA, and then there is a huge following for that, and 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 obviously the NFL as well. But I feel like growing up, having watched a gazillion different sports, I feel like this closed league works for American sports because it's kind of grown up as a culture. It's kind of grown up as as a system, as a process for years and years and years and years. Right? It's it's so embedded across their their different tiers of sports, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, the NWSL, the MLS, right? So they've kind of all got the equal sort of thing. And if you suddenly have like the women's game, for example, in Europe with, or even in England specifically with a closed league versus say France or Germany or Spain or even like Italy or Portugal with like open leagues, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. And I think one thing I was talking to, I was talking to somebody else today and I was like, for me, if you still want to make that work, I still feel like maybe to an extent you need to build the infrastructure for the rest of the clubs that are maybe needed at the bottom of the table a little bit more. And I still think there needs to be a bigger pool of players for them to bring in to be able to sustain a closed league with maybe the odd addition here and there. And, you know, because if you're, if you're going to play without any relegation with anything then then it doesn't just affect the top league it affects the second league and the third league because if a player gets moved brought in or transferred in from the second division to the first division they'll want to go and then all the talent then goes becomes a talent drain into the top league and then your bottom leagues get get affected so i feel like there's too many repercussions for this and unless the entire pyramid changes it's very difficult to just change one league or one division uh, or one country where everybody else is not there. Whereas it works in the US. I appreciate what they do and I do enjoy their thing, but it just it works for them because they've got the infrastructure and the process in place. So I don't think Europe has that and I don't think it will happen just because everybody so used to this and it works. I, the, the drama of the relegation on the last day is the one of the best things, the most nerve wracking, but also the best things to look forward to because that's what keeps you watching until literally the last day of the season. So that's my two cents on the whole thing. Yeah, and I think the the other thing as well I'd say is I would be intrigued about whether it does kind of push standards because as much as what I said about the logic of, of risk and things like that, you look at players who, uh, teams who are kind of in and around the bottom at the moment in the WSL, Spurs, Leicester, um, Liverpool, like these are clubs that that should be investing and you kind of lose the, the incentive to if you've just got your licence to play in the top division. You know, if you're Leicester... And you clearly haven't bothered to put that much money into your squad because your squad is, like, to put it bluntly, pretty shit. Uh, but then it doesn't matter if you go down. So as much as you're like, maybe there's an incentive to invest, there's also a disincentive to invest. Um, but anyway, yes, silly idea. Um, right, we're going to take another ad break. When we come back, we will do a couple more questions to finish off the episode. All right. 
I will go on this one. Um, we will go with Rob's next. And I'm going to tie it in with something from, from Mia as well, Abdullah. Um, because I feel like it hits at the same thing. So Rob's question is, well, the first part of Rob's question, maybe we'll do the second part afterwards, is <laughs> would you keep the same back four for the Arsenal FA Cup game? Um, so I'm guessing this is... I don't really know what he means by the same back four, but I'm going to assume we're talking Kadisha, Millie, Jess Carter and Neve Charles. I feel like that's become the what I would say is the same one. Um, and equally, Mia Eriksson asked, Leon is the team in Europe that wins the ball highest up the pitch. How should Chelsea's defence line up to deal with this? Um, so yeah, I think this is interesting as well because... Uh, Arsenal are also a team who've done very well out of high turnovers this season. So I guess the question is, Abdullah, is, is who are you backing as as basically your best back for? Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Um, it's, it's super interesting because I think this back four of Chelsea is... it's one. Chelsea is one of the few teams that, in my opinion, that you can, except for probably the centre-backs... I feel like you need to switch the fullbacks depending on the game that you're playing. Just because of the wide range of skill set that Chelsea's fullbacks have from Eve Perisay to Jess Carter to Neve Charles to Gura Wrighton, if you want to, and Magda Eriksson, if you want to include those two as well, that you can't just have a carbon like, all right, maybe Eve Perisay is probably the only one you can kind of put in there and go, you know, you're going to get an equal amount, seven out of 10. You know what you're going to get from Eve. But for everybody else, you're like, you don't know. Because, like, if you're going for consistency then yeah sure the the lineup that we just said with carter and neve charles uh bright and buchanan in the middle that's probably your back four in terms of consistency and the one that's been played the most but then i don't see maybe having neve charles in there against leon because like like mia said leon's probably the team in europe that wins the ball up the highest at the pitch do you then trust neve charles in high pressure situations you know deep in her you know deep in her half Going forward, absolutely fantastic. I think if you're playing wingbacks, I can really see Neil Charles doing an amazing job as a wingback against Leon or whoever else you want to play. But I think if you're doing it in a back four, I would want Yves Perisay in there. And if I'm taking the Leon game as, as the thing, and I'm assuming you're playing Leon, you're for Manchester United and Arsenal, so these are top, top teams, right? Um, maybe against Arsenal, you could keep the back four just because I feel like they're just not in the form. They just, there's just very little threat from them right now. So you could probably keep that back four and, and go with it. But I think against United, against Leon specifically, I would bring in Eve Perisay out at right back. I think, I think she would, uh, she, first of all, she's, she knows Leon. She's played for them. She's played against them very recently. Buchanan's played against recently. So you got, and played for them, sorry, rather recently. So you got two players in there who know that team pretty much strengths weaknesses they know the players they know everything so it's almost important that you get those two playing against leon millie bright's ever dependable and i think your question mark now comes down to left back do you want solid one-on-one -on -one defending from jess carter against whoever ends up playing on the right hand side for leon or do you then want um do you want then to, to, to have the malleable back four or five option with, with Mia er Magda Eriksson playing at, uh, at left back? Uh, I said it again. Uh, <laughs> it's never going to end. Um, or do you then switch to a back three and play with wing backs? So there are so many of these questions, but if you're going back for my opinion, Mag uh, I, I would go Millie Bright, Kadisha Buchanan, Eve Perisay, and maybe I think I would go, I probably play Magda Eriksson just because I think I want the shift between the back three and the back four specifically for that movement. And then you have maybe Guru Wrighton as your left wingers come left back and then kind of play the play the movement there because I think Leon um, will, will rely heavily on their midfield. And I think you'll, you'd need an extra extra player at the back to deal with their runners like a Dabritz or a Van de Donk or a Marujan or someone like that. Yeah, I mean, it's def there's definitely a lot of things to go through. There's a lot of players floating around there and it's kind of crazy that we haven't really figured it out. The one thing that I still in my head from the West Ham game is playing Millie and Magda together at centre-back. I just, I saw it and it made me feel warm inside. 
Um, and it's still, I don't know. I still just think maybe it's better. But, like, can you really bench Kadisha? Mm, I feel like... Ugh. I feel like you could, um, but I don't know if Emma Hayes will. I think for Arsenal, I would be tempted to go, yeah, Millie, Kadisha, Perisette, and then maybe Jess Carter, just because I think she's quite good at shutting things down and and that would be useful. But equally, I do think Magda's like quite a calm head to have there. I think the problem we had against Arsenal before, though, was that we weren't able to make the most of that width. So I definitely think that's why having Perisay on would be good. And Neve Charles obviously did really struggle against Caitlin Ford, so that might be one to give a miss. Leon, the only other thing that I have in the back of my head is... Um, and I don't know how this would work with Parasite because I do think, you know, it's obviously a good point that she's kind of played Leon a lot and knows them well. But it is whether you just, like, maybe especially in the first leg when it's away, fully play it safe and play Marami Elder there. Um, just, like, really lock it down and say, look, we're not going to overdo it. We just need, like, a draw. Like, we're happy to take a nil-nil. If we win, even better. But the key is not to concede. And, and for that, we're going to turn to, like, experience. You know, we've seen her... In the game against Man City, she's I think she's played at a really high level. I'm almost surprised we haven't seen more of her, to be honest, um, just because I think she's very good. And I don't really think she's given us much reason to think that she's any worse than kind of any of the other options we've seen there. Um, so basically, I don't really know. Uh, it's, a, it's a tricky one. I think for Arsenal, I would go Perisette. No, fuck it. I'm going to put I'm going to go out there. I'd go Perisette, Millie, Magda, Jess Carter. So there we go. Kadisha benched. Classic back to centre-back pairing. We need a couple more of those before the season's out so we can reminisce. Exactly. In, in, in it. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. Mielda's a good point, sorry, by the way. I I, I didn't think of Mielda at the time. And, and, I, and, I, and now that I think about it, you got me thinking. I'm like, I actually really like that because then you could play Neve Charles at left back and then you have the one outlet and there's less pressure on Neve to defend more than anything else because you can shift the back three the other way and play that way so i actually really like that um really like that point but anyway from neom at kivra and there's probably a couple of questions here from damien marshall as well at damien4924 what's your favorite goal celebration so far this season and and kind of who are the individual multiple people who have had the best celebration on the team i i, I think there's a pretty standout answer here i think for me at least i want to know what you think Okay, so I think my favourite goal celebration so far this season was Frank Kirby against Spurs in the League Cup where she cupped her ear, just because I feel like Frank Kirby is not normally that sassy and it was a really, like, weirdly sassy celebration, which I very much enjoyed. Um, but I think in terms of individuals, like, it's got to be Sam, right? It's like, it's just... She's always doing something funny. It's like either she's backflipping or she's doing a roly-poly or she's doing her silly knee slide. Then if someone else scores, she's still there celebrating with them. You know, she's obviously got all her stuff of LJ, the little like basketball one. She's got that weird one with Guru where she puts her hand really high and they put their hands really high in the air. I'm just like, that girl sits at home and thinks about goal celebrations. So I will also just do an honourable mention to Millie Bright and Katarina Svitkova both doing the like eye things with their disgusting tattoos <laughs> but i respect that as well uh, Abdullah, what are you going for which would be uh your favorite celebration i i really i uh, sam kerr for me obviously I, I agree with that was my answers was sam kerr but i think I, I i love the girl sam kerr the hands up in the air like the the it's almost like i don't even know what you call it but it's just it's just a really cool i don't know i just found it really nice and i found it really like um, different to any other normal celebration, just felt like a really nice inside joke, a really choreographed and coordinated sort of uh, celebration. So for me, that was uh, that. That's almost like you picture that and then you you hang it up on a wall frame. That's that's the type of celebration that one that one looked like <laughs> to me. So you know, I, I I like that one. Yeah, it's we've had some. I feel like the celebrations have really upped. Like I don't know what like is cooking in that dressing room, but the celebrations have like upped the game this season, and I'm here for it. Um, just want to finish off with one final one, which we skipped out from Rob's. Um, but next week is Pancake Day. Uh, Abdullah, as a Muslim, I don't know, like, what is your understanding of Pancake Day? <laughs> uh, you eat pancakes 
the regular pancakes it. on the yeah. day. That's, that's Have it. you yeah, ever had yeah. a pancake day? Not specifically, <laughs> no, but I like eating pancakes whenever I can. Pancakes, waffles, I go to an IHOP. Oh, you have a pancake year, right. Yeah, right. So I, go to, I go to an IHOP, I go to a Denny's, and then I just eat some I like pancakes galore, and I love some pancakes. Pancakes are good. So what's your pancake topping of choice? That was Rob's question. Oh, pancake topping of choice. You just really put You sound like out. an expert. <laughs> I like food. Let me put it that way. Um, <laughs> oh, this is, this is tough. Okay, I think got to have some fruit on there, right? So I think blueberries definitely go on to on pancakes. Um, you got to have a little bit of Nutella on there, I think, as well. And... Um, you can't go wrong with some maple syrup. So I'd say fresh fruit, blueberries, strawberries, give me some Nutella and give me some maple syrup and I'm a happy camper. Oh, that sounds great. I am going to go with some maple syrup and bacon, like that kind of American style pancake vibe. Um, but I'm not a massive pancake person, to be honest. So sorry about that, everyone. Um, but that pretty much wraps us up. Uh, so we have got... Um, we are going to do a little tactics pod later in the week, looking at Chelsea's uh, number 10. So we're going to look at all the cool work Adela has been doing around that and kind of bring it all together in one pod. Obviously, next week we'll have a preview ahead of the, the game against Arsenal. So we'll be back talking about what defence we should play. A little bit of an update as well. Uh, Chelsea's toughest fixture in March has been confirmed as being on Wednesday the 8th. <laughs> playing host to Brighton at 7.30 at Kings Meadows. That means uh, our upcoming fixtures currently look like this. We have Arsenal in the FA Cup on the 26th of Feb, Arsenal in the Conti Cup on the 5th of March, Brighton on the 8th, United on the 12th, Lyon on the 22nd, and Man City on the 26th. So we're going to be very, very busy in March. Uh, lots of good stuff coming your way. Um, but we'll be back soon. And until then, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>